Welcome to Walking After Foo, the Alm by Alm discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson, joined as always by Peter Kenigsberg. And also today we are joined by Marissa Monti, co-host for definitely the first episode. And I don't remember if we got you on another one in between then, but welcome back, Marissa, Pete, welcome back. It's been a year since the Medicine at Midnight album dropped, the 10th album by Foo Fighters. And I think enough time has now passed where we can talk about this with uh, more than just like in a raw hot takes. Yeah. I mean, at the time we, when we first recorded, we were weekly talking about different Foo Fighters albums in anticipation of Medicine at Midnight. It came out early 2021. It is now early 2022. We've had a year to sit with it and more than enough time to think and react to it. And we're back to finally share what the people have been waiting for. Marissa to come back on the podcast. That's really what they've been waiting for. Yeah, that's, that's, they've that's, been anticipating this. That's, that's really what they've been We've waiting for. We've gotten your all of your, you know, the feedback. We really appreciate that you've sent us all of that. We know that you've been waiting for Marissa to be back on the show. So <laughs> we Highly listened. Unlikely, but appreciate it, guys. <laughs> Happy to be here, though, uh, especially to. for the Happy. first the first episode, I think, of, of the new year. So yes. what a yes. great way to to come back and then kick it off so shall we get into it yeah <laughs> i think we shall let's do it so let's start with some of the basics that uh we typically discuss uh all the things that you know and love this album came out on february 5th 2021 having been pushed back and delayed due to the covid pandemic it was produced by greg kirsten who produced the last album, Concrete and Gold. And it is nine tracks of a very fun, sort of disco-inspired, very 80s-inspired album. And it's pretty great. I think that was the number one thing, is that Dave wanted this album to be fun. Because when they were recording this and when they were getting ready to release this, they were anticipating the 25th anniversary of the Foo Fighters inception, 25 years after the first album that the three of us talked about together, Foo Fighters came out in 97. They were going to do this big stadium tour in 2020. And as we all know, 2020 took a turn that no one expected and they weren't able to do that tour. Um, But this was going to be their way of going out guns blazing, having the best party, the biggest party that they could. Um, And it's still in studio was that. Unfortunately, on tour, it wasn't, but we were still given a flavor of what was to come, um, you know, from the live shows, which actually, Andrew, you saw one of them. Yes. Uh, why don't we, we'll talk about that right now. We'll talk about uh, that. Yeah. 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 So, we're on the topic. Uh, yeah, yeah. While we're on the topic, uh, 2020 came, the album came out, everyone was in lockdown still, right as they were announcing that shows were going to come back they just they were told they were gonna they were you know given the invitation to reopen madison square garden in new york city i live in new york city as do the three of us and uh i was able to snag two tickets so me and my wife got to go to see that show and it was incredible not only did they do you know all of everyone's favorite hits they did 
handful of songs from the new album. The song Aurora was on the playlist, which if you've listened to this show, you know that that is probably one of my favorite songs of theirs, one of the most beautiful songs they've ever written. Um, and Dave Chappelle showed up. And he sang Creep, uh, which was very bizarre and very cool. Uh, they also did a Bee Gees cover as the DGs, which we will not talk about necessarily today, but uh, maybe it, we'll talk about that in the covers episode, you know, one of the covers <laughs> episodes that we'll eventually do. But I, I am wearing the, I am wearing my Foo Fighters shirt from that show right now. So June you know. 20th, 2021, Madison Square yep. Garden. Great show. Iconic. Probably the only show that uh, my wife will go to a Foo Fighters, but now she's seen them and she got to see them at an incredible time. So it's all a win. <laughs> I think this is a side, a side note, but I think is Foo Fighters the band you've seen the most, Andrew? I think it must be at this point. It's pretty close. I have, I have been uh, trying to re go through my steps for a while. I kept a tr- like a little word document of every concert I saw. And then kind of stopped doing it somewhere around 2014 and then started doing it again. I decided, Oh, I'll go back into doing this in 2020. And so not too many concerts since 2020, but so there's a good like five, six years that I'm missing that I need to like fill in the gaps of, but um, they're one of the, they're one of the bands I've seen the most, probably them, cold war kids, bully, maybe, um, of course, any of the like small underground shows that I've been to over the years in New York. Is it true, Marissa, that the last time I think we both saw Foo Fighters was the last time you also saw Foo Fighters at Cal Jam? Yes. I believe so. I think, yes. okay. you know, and, and if I, I didn't know then that it would be like the last time I'd seen them in a while, in a while. Um, but I'm happy it was because I mean my mind was literally blown. Um, so it was a good, it was a, a good show to kind of hold you over um, for a few years. I will say, although I am getting the inkling again, and I wish I can, I wish I could see them again soon. Well, you're in luck because their tour uh, <laughs> dates are out, and they are going to City Field this summer. So oh, that's yes. you're in the New York area. Yeah, yeah. You can see them. That was or actually, anywhere else they're touring the world right now so you know true that was my first time actually seeing them in concert so as we're recording this andrew has a poster behind his head from the last time i think we both saw them at city field in 2015 it was like july of 2015 that and that was the broken leg tour yes that was so, uh the broken uh, leg sonic highways tour yeah uh and then Give, we saw them long ago yeah and then we saw them i saw them with you twice at uh for the concrete and gold tour and i saw them yep. uh with marissa twice for concrete and gold yeah so a lot of scenes of foo fighters between <laughs> a lot of, of a lot of scenes of foo fighters mm-hmm. but we're not here to talk about their about the tours necessarily though they are on tour and it's great if you can go see it uh because they always put on a good show and they're doing disco songs now so that's fun but <laughs> we are here to talk about medicine at midnight that's right yes so let's get into it so I wanted to prove to the audience that you're hearing from validated voices, ears that have listened to this band many a time. So, you know, also, I guess, hold on, before we do that, if you haven't listened to the nine to 10 episodes that came out before this one, we also did nine to 10 episodes going album by album 
starting from their first step, you know, their first album leading up to this album. So you can go back, pause this one, go back, listen to those, then come back to this because they're spoilers. On anchor.fm slash music, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the places where podcasts are available, all of those episodes are contained. Nine episodes talking about Foo Fighters. This is number 10. Finally, one year later, Medicine at Midnight. So let's go into a tiny bit of background about this. So first things first, you have to understand where they were coming from in order to understand how they got here. Concrete and Gold was the album before this that came out in 2017. And the band decided to go on a little bit of a break. But it was a very short-lived break because by August of 2019, Taylor Hawkins decided to reach out to Dave Grohl, share some material that he was demoing, and they started to get the band back together and come up with this concept of this fun, you know, dance, disco, as we're calling it, vibe. So where did they go to do this? They decided to go to rent out a home together to decide to record, you know, in the different various parts of the house that had good acoustics and, you know, just uh, kind of feel out the space that, you know, was new for them. They didn't want to go back in their studio, go back into Dave's garage, go back into, you know, going to eight different cities to record eight different songs. But what ended up happening, funny enough, was that as they were recording these songs in this house, it turns out the house was haunted. Spooky. (laughs) So... The recording still happened. They still got a full album together, but needless to say, it definitely left some weird vibes amongst the band. Actually became the inspiration for a movie that's coming out later this year, which we'll talk about later because that is part of the story as well. Um, but there you go. That's that's essentially the background here. This is album 10, meant to be their big 25th anniversary release. What we believe could potentially be their first of three in the decade. If we follow their trajectory, they should be releasing three a decade. This should be number one of three. Mm -hmm. So we hope there's two more to come in the next 10 years, nine years. Um, But let's dive right in. The album is nine songs long, 36 minutes, 32 seconds, has your traditional cast of Dave, Taylor, Rami, Nate, Chris, and Pat with a couple of additional uh, you know, contributions from some amazing um, artists. Um, You have, of course, Greg Kirsten helping a little bit. You have Dave's uh, daughter, Violet, helping on background vocals a little bit. Omar Hakim is helping on percussion a little bit. So it's an all-star cast here helping to compose this really, really fun album. It begins with what I think is probably one of my favorite songs on it, Making a Fire, track number one, about a four minute, 15 second opener. Uh, Andrew, I will start with you on this one. This is one of the best openers on their albums. And I know that that's a kind of a bold statement considering something like, uh, you know, Wasting Light has an incredible opener. Uh, one, All My Life was an opener. This is a call is an opener. Monkey Wrench is essentially an opener. If you think about Doll just sort of being like a track zero going into it, that's, there's a lot of great openers. This is one of their best. And this is the best use, I think, of their current lineup, not just the three guitarist keyboards, but also the background vocalists that are joining them now. Like this has the, is one of the best uses of everyone that they tour with. It's a great song. Marissa, what did you think when this, this was the opener? So I remember the first time I listened to the album and the first time I heard that track, um, it was, it was definitely a surprise. I mean, I knew they were going in a more pop rock dance direction. I, I knew that it was going to be, 
it was, this album was supposed to be more of like this upbeat optimistic fun album you know and maybe maybe in 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 the shadow of what was going on and, and just in general i wasn't expecting uh maybe just how how poppy it, it, it sounded so i do think it took me a few a few listens to the album in total to kind of like really groove with it i guess it's the best way i could i could describe it um i i don't know it's my if it's my favorite opener of theirs but i think i can see having listened to the rest of the album and sitting with it like i understand why you know it's like you listen to that track it's very apparent what this album is going to be like you you you're in, you're, you're, you're sitting in the seat, you know what kind of ride you're about to go on. And like, I think that it does a great job. And like to Andrew's point, and, and I didn't even think of it that way, but just the idea of, of using everyone in such a cohesive and like in the best possible combination, the best possible way. Like, I think it, it really does a great job of that. So I wouldn't say it's my favorite opener, but I see how it works for this album and I can come around, you know, I can come around a little bit. <laughs> it's the best, like meet the band yes. kind of song <laughs> that they could have in the moment because you have for one of the first times, a legitimate background vocal. That's not Taylor. You have this, like, I think Rami is stepping up more in terms of being an established part of the, the core Foo Fighters. Instead yeah. of just trying to lay this background, like almost like pseudo baseline with Nate, you know, now he's actually branching out and he's becoming a more, you know, audio like presence. And so I thought like, yeah, I agree with you both. It's a tone setter. It's a really exciting start. It's a little surprising when you first hear it, which is why I think when we first listened to it together, I was like, this is, this is how the album starts. Really? This is, this is the out, al- this is Foo Fighters. This is the album. Because you look at the album art and if, and just if you take a second, the album art, it's like, it's basically grungy. Like it's punk grungy. It's kind of, yeah. Like Andrew has it here. But it's got bright. Look at, I mean, look at all these bright colors. But it's got it's the like bright colors. pink yes. and yeah. blues it's and neon. on black. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like it's it could glow light. in the dark. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's like a dance hall kind of, and, but it makes sense. It's like, it's so cool. It's just so cool. It's so uplifting. It's so bright. It's so inspiring. It came at a perfect time because this is February of 2021. We're several months into the COVID pandemic. This was just a bright spot. I felt, I was like, okay, this is a happy, this happy go lucky kind of album. I think we're about to embark on. This is a good start. I'm feeling good about this. And then Dave decides to go into shame, shame, which brings me down to like exactly where the pandemic kind of had me. (laughs) And what I'll just say is that this being the first single made me very nervous and it's still not my favorite song on the album, but I, I appreciate Dave for giving this, like giving this part of his songwriting a shot, trying this like minimalism, but like, I don't know, Marissa, like, am I totally off about that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you feel differently, but I just felt like, ah, oh, it's so weird. Well, I think, and, and, and I actually didn't even think of that, but like that being a single, right. I think you had a very different idea of what the album was going to be. So that yeah. kind of brings us back <laughs> to Pretty that much, question yeah. of that opener. Um, you know, I thought well, when it came out, I, I loved it. I was like, I, I wanted more of that from Dave. I was like, this is something I haven't heard from him it was just yeah, it's I really so, enjoyed it, you know. So different. Yeah, 
It was a different take. It, 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 it's different, but it was like, it was like, it made sense to me. Cause I was like, I, it wasn't something outlandish from him or anything like that. It was like, I felt it was, it was a natural transition. Like I, I can, I can get with that. And like, I really appreciated it. Um, I don't know, but yeah, like having that be the single and then you get the rest of the album. You're like, I did not expect that at all, you know? And I thought that was a great, a great trick they played on us actually they had us they had us it's such a it is a fun left turn from something that feels like oh slightly different foo fighters but still definitely foo fighters to the Mm -hmm. sort of drum beat pattern going on with the sort of drum machine-y kind of vibe and then yeah yeah they i think they they debuted it on SNL. And I remember I made sure mm-hmm. to watch that episode because we're, mm-hmm. we're stuck in the pandemic anyway. What does it matter? But I'm sitting there. I'm like, they're new, new music. They're going to do new music. And they do that. I was like, that was different. Yeah. But I also remember, and, and actually I was reading something too, because I think like on this album, you know, it was, I mean, it is, and we'll get into it as we get through the other tracks, but like just the idea of them experimenting in general. And I was reading somewhere too, that this was the first time they actually used like a drum loop, Yeah, (laughs) you know, on this album, like this was the first time. And, and then I was also reading an, um, an interview, um, with Greg and he was just kind of explaining that on concrete and gold, it was kind of like guitar riff driven. Whereas this album was, was drum driven. Like it was like Dave, coming in tapping on stuff and being like I wanted to sound like this what do I do with this and and then like them kind of basing the songs around around that and so you know I think that's kind of a cool part of it too like you you know just seeing them kind of experiment with that and and shame of being being one of those of course shame shame and I don't think it, and I, I do agree with Pete that it's not necessarily my favorite of their songs. And I do think it was a weird choice as a single and it has a weird interest. It had, but it does have a very interesting spot in the set list when they played it. Uh, mm. Cause they get, they just get the, they, they get the groove going and they've started doing this thing where they're laying down the groove and Dave is just talking and like, and then he starts to sing as, as you get into it, but it, it's kind of fun. It's very different from, we're going to play rock song after rock song after rock song to have songs like this or medicine at midnight, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, to have a little bit more of a, like a groove and you get to chill. And there's like, okay, let's, let's like relax a little bit before we go into something very heavy again, so that you're not just jumping and screaming the entire time. So it gives a little bit more dynamic, a lot of dynamic to the, uh, to the set list. The thing I wanted to ask you about this song that I think maybe this will, this will be our, one of our last points on this is, is the drumming because Marissa, you're right. This is a drum led album, definitely in terms of production, but the drumming on this is just so, it's so different. Like, I don't yeah. know, Andrew, I mean, you're a resident drummer. Maybe you can explain it, but just the way that that opening is like kind of the opening and closing are handled. Like that's just, yeah. that's very like almost anti-rock in a sense where it's like, it's, it's haunting in its absence of oh, any yeah. sort of big, like, you know, big theatrics. Like, yes, so what's, and what's I, going on? I think on? it's very interesting there. And I think that leads to, and I was going to talk about this a little bit during Medicine at Midnight, especially because of the song has yeah. such a, like a very distinct sound to it. But Dave mentioned, you know, has mentioned many times, this album is the closest thing that Foo Fighters is going to do to Let's Dance by David Bowie. And you feel that so much in this 
And on top of the fact that Omar Hakim is doing percussion, I don't know if it's on this song, but he's doing it on other songs. And he's the drummer from Let's Dance. Mm-hmm. So yep. you have a lot of things pointing in the direction of we want to make a, an album that plays like an 80s dance rock album. Short of having Niles Rogers on it, you've kind of <laughs> nailed the approach right from the get-go. So I, and it does have a, like a, it has this space of like, we could turn this into a dance remix. I think the, the extra space on either side gives you the option of saying, let's take the loop, either let's just take that loop, the dun, 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 and turning that into just a loop that could then have a dance beat and like, you know, get a remix over it, or just gives you that extra space to work with for it to turn into a dance beat that then loops into another song in a club. Like I could see this song getting a weird Euro club remix. Like, I, like, like a, like a yeah. mid 2000, like a, like an early to mid 2000s Euro club remix. I'd be here for that. I'm just going to say. I'd be here for it too. Throwing it out in the universe. Like I, I'd be here for that. <laughs> but I've, I've driven in the car to like shame, shame a couple of times and been like, Ooh, okay. Let's, let's groove. Yeah. Let's, let's just like groove down the highway on this, you know, like it, it works. Like it's, it's, a, it's weird for Foo Fighters, but it definitely, it definitely works. It's a good song. I mean, now that you mention it, it, it really does. So if you're like Swedish house mafia out there and you're listening to this for some reason, <laughs> here's a prime opportunity. Listen, just make dun, of it what dun, you will. Dun, 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 yeah, right. Dun, there you dun, go. Dun, <laughs> or turn it, or you could just take that mix and like, just take the beat. Let's, let's make it into a, into a rap track. Can we, can we turn that just into like a rap beat? Just add a little boom pop. I think you could. Just made of weights on it. I don't know. Oh, Super Bowl's around the corner. Maybe they will. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You get a remix. Just Dave just comes out of nowhere. Just, that would, <laughs> there we go. What that's, that's what we need is we need Kendrick Lamar, Dr. Dre, Missy Elliott, and Dave Grohl. That's the remix we've all been waiting for. Secret. But that's, but that's also a very yeah. relatively like I think they described this of like they wrote this like immediately like while they were there like they were playing around they're like ooh that beat's cool and then just like sort of layered everything on top of it yep. which is a little different from the next track mm. Cloud Spotter which features a riff that is 25 years old yes can you expand on that 25 year old riff where yes. does that come from and where has it been so I actually found on YouTube somewhere a like some recording from their demos uh, from like, I think not from the Foo Fighters one, but from in between Foo Fighters and Color and the Shape of him, Pat, Nate, and uh, their first drummer, just kind of William working on stuff. And I think some of that included, uh, you know, stuff like Monkey Wrench and, uh, you know, but one of the things that's in there is a riff that is strikingly res- resembles the chorus of Cloud Spotter. Interesting. And it took so this that, long to that, put them together. That riff is from like 96. Wow. 97. That's nuts. And like to think that it, it just, it just, and everything that they wrote, that he Dave wrote, it just, it just never, it just never fit. I mean, he's yeah, he said him. yeah, and that he's brought that up a number of times, where he has 
like riffs and riffs and riffs and drum beats and recordings and demos of like partial songs and stuff that are just sitting in a vault mm. waiting to get used, waiting mm. for it. Like the song, uh, The Never Ending Sigh, which is on St. Cecilia, is, was like a series of bits that they, had been, that they had been sitting on for just as long. And they just couldn't figure out how to get it. And I guess when you add in new members, they come up with new ideas and eventually you can work with it. So, yeah. you know, they're sitting there trying to think of something and they're like, ooh, I bet we could work this. You know, Pat's like, wait, can we finally get this riff in? They're <laughs> like, yeah, I guess it works. But the rest of the song is what I think is most bizarre to me. Uh, because, and I said this when we recorded, the, when we like first listened to it, is, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that whole verse it's just to me screams low rider. Yeah, it's just like low rider. And, and and I think as we go on, there are a lot of songs that harken back to other songs we all know and love, and that you could definitely hear the influence um, and from a bunch of artists um, in these tracks. But I think Cloud Spotter for sure has that low rider vibe. Um, I think there are a lot of reviews out there when it came out around the time that, that caught on to that. <laughs> um, but also too, I feel that like, especially this song, it's, it's, a, it's a weird mix. I also get like a, a Queens of the Stone Age kind of vibe yeah. too from it, oh, yeah. which, which I mean, isn't completely uh, disconnected obviously from Dave and, and, and that whole crew, but um, definitely picking, I definitely also picked up on that lowrider and uh, just an odd combination of sound for them yet again on this on this album. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think we honestly, if I look listen back to the recording, I bet I think Andrew, either you or Marissa, you said that the first mm. time we heard it, we we're like, "That's lowrider, isn't it?" It's like it just. <laughs> but I think that's the most amazing thing. This is an example of how a band twenty five years old is able to just pull so seamlessly from either their own archives or influences from decades ago. I mean, it's amazing to me how the musical mind works and how you're able to remember these things. I just imagine though, just Pat just sitting there in the background every time they're in the studio for every album from like album two to now, just saying, can we use that riff yet? <laughs> like, do we, do we work that in somewhere? I think it's good. I think it's good right here. How about now? It's Dave's just like, now? Pat, not no, now. I don't think that works. I don't today. think that makes Not sense. Now, Pat. <laughs> One day. You tell like Nate's back there, like, no, that's not it. That's not it. And they get and they finally fit it in. He's like, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> the joy on his face. He probably finally slept easy that night saying, It's done. I've laid it to rest mm -hmm. in this song. It can live a happy life so on fun. Cloud Spotter. Uh, I will say though that this was one of my I mean, I had a lot of favorites as as the year went on from this album. This was my first favorite song. Really? Yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know, the, the chorus, it was like the first chorus that stuck in my head. It was the first one I was like, I don't know, I feel like I could rock out to. I was like, this, this is a good song here. Yeah. Now moving on to number four. We're talking about Waiting on a War. This song has a really fascinating history. Um, and if you know Dave Grohl's past, you know his family history, it makes even more sense. So I'll give you a little bit of it. So we all know, or many people know that Dave Grohl's mom was a teacher who has been very influential in his life, but his father was a journalist who very frequently uh, covered political news in DC. That's where he's from originally. 
you know, Virginia area, DC being very close. And so it's very natural that in Dave's life, he was very attuned to the political climate. Um, he makes no reservations that he leans Democrat. And I think he has, you know, his band has performed during DNC conventions and such. And so, you know, he's not shy about his own political beliefs, but he used this song to kind of, you know, resemble what he was feeling um, in, you know, in the moment. He recalls, uh, you know, driving his daughter to school one day, his youngest daughter, and her just having this really unnatural fear about the world, about, you know, nuclear attacks and shootings and, and riots and, and anger and frustration. He's thinking you're, you're, a, you know, you're an under teenage girl. What, what, what do you have to be concerned about? But then he thought back on it and he thought, well, that's not much different than how I felt around her age about the Cold War and the imminent threat that the U.S. and Russia presented against each other and the potential that one would wipe the other out with a nuclear attack. And so he took that and he personified it with this song of, you know, essentially, as the title suggests, waiting on a war, waiting on something bad to happen and the tension that comes from it. This is definitely one of my top three songs in the album. I think it was the single that was released either on Dave's birthday or it was the second single released shortly around that. Um, I just remember listening to it and I just thought more than shame, shame. If you're going to have like a, a dark song, a song that has a little bit of, of feeling and emotion and, and, you know, kind of introspection to it. This is the kind that I would expect to come from Foo Fires. One I was really happy about Andrew, what'd you think about it? Yeah, this is like a really interesting song is you know meshed between a bunch of hard rock funky sort of dancey songs right it's yeah it's like a sort of like a like the ballad of a foo fight like an on a foo fighters you know track listing right uh it's it, i mean like you nailed it right it's about being afraid of war coming at any moment which you know seems to be the case more often than uh not in our society which is unfortunate but it's it is a very like it's interesting to be able to have him talk on something like this that he doesn't you know he doesn't often you know a lot of songs are you know personal or they're just nonsense sometimes but like to have something that's a little bit more politically leaning is very interesting and so i think it's a really good song it's not one of it's not one of my favorites uh, on the record i i i think partially just because i enjoy the flow of like having some of the you know, there's like a certain energy that's going for most of the songs. And this one kind of is one of the few that doesn't like sort of pulls you out of that. Right. At least for a while until, you know, and then all, you know, it's pretty much an acoustic song. And then until the end when it gets sort of hard rocking, but. And I think it is interesting how, you know, the fact that the album itself was delayed and like, and like the timing that you're, that you're listening to the tracks from when they were actually intended to be listened to. <laughs> yeah. Um, that plays into that. Um, in addition to kind of like the political side of it, which I definitely agree with, like it's 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 not often that the Foo Fighters have a song. I mean, I, I don't, I really, nothing else comes to mind um, on an album that kind of speaks to, you know, what's going on in the world. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think there's some of that in, in some of their stuff, but this was the first one that's like really on the nose. But I think for me too, it's like, um, aside from the political, like I think it also, the song was, what really resonated with me was that it's kind of like when he asked like is 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 there more to this than just waiting for everything to fall apart right like can can we use this time to just really love each other and like and like despite everything that's going on out there like 
like I was listening to it again today and, and like, and I forget exactly what line it is, but like, there's just, there's just like this, you know, there has to be more to this, like in the sense of being surrounded by all, all these stress inducing, you know, bits <laughs> of news, right. you know, and it's like, can't you choose in your, in your daily life to focus or on more to this than that, right. To focus right. on what, what really like, what really matters, you know? Um, and I think that especially because it's been such a stressful year for everyone personally, I just thought that was like a really cool, a really cool part of, of what that song's trying to say too. And, and, you know, and then in the end it, it ends, you know, with, with the anger that you feel like, Oh, like I'm sad. I'm sad. This is stress. Now I'm just angry. You know, like, I just want to like scream at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> So that crescendo and, and, and at the end, and I think it's a, I think it is um, a really cool way to kind of like, if you're talking about the flow of the album, right. Starting with a really upbeat song going to like this little introspective kind of moment and then we're back up and like, now we're down, but now we're going to go back up. again. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think it wasn't one of my most favorite songs, in the beginning, um, you know, of the year, but I still don't know where it ranks for me, but I, I do appreciate it um, for the type of message it is trying to say or give. You just won me over on this song, even though you just said it's not one of your favorites. It's definitely, as you say that, it's like, wow, this, you know, it really not only does it fit so immensely well in the, the you know, post uh, pandemic or pre during pandemic world more so than Dave could have imagined. Uh, but it does, I think you're right. I think it does help capture the, the energy and mood with ups and downs and cap sort of like, it's not just all like, Oh, we're going to go oh, all energy. Then all sad. It kind of has like almost manic in it's uh well, and it kind of reminds me of like, I mean, the whole album kind of reminds me of this, but like I've had moments where it's like, if you go to a show, right, you go to a concert and you're kind of like, just in the moment and you're like, oh, I'm having the time of my life, you know? And then like a random thought just like flutters through your head about like the world, the real world, right? For a second, you're like, oh, that's, that sucks, you know? And then like, but then like, you're still at the concert and then like, and then, and then the music brings you back and you're like, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this moment, you know? So I kind of feel like for me, that's kind of what this album has turned into. It just kind of reminds me of, of that feeling I have. And I don't know, like that kind of roller coaster of thought and emotion. The, the song, the song is that in the, it's like it's whole track listing. It's like, He's oh, so everything's good. good. This sounds great. Remember that horrible thing that happened. Well, no, never mind. It's all good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Forget that thought. Forget We're that all thought. having fun here. Did. The world isn't crumbling. Even if it is, who cares? <laughs> Whatever, we're dancing, we're having fun. It's so, good. <laughs> it's more fitting than I than I think I realized the first the first listen through. So that's that's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that. You know. It's also, I believe, the only the second song ever in Foo Fighters history that actually relates in some way to a life moment that's happening in the world. The first one that I can think of being Ballad of Beakersfield Miners, which is the whole story about how a bunch of miners were stuck um, in the mines. They requested among food and water an iPod with Foo Fighters music on it. And so they kind of use that as a place to kind of pay you know, their respects to that, that group. And then this is a story about what's happening in the real world. Everything else has just kind of been Dave's personal life, Dave's personal thoughts. And so this is, this is so different and unique. And so I just think, you know, I, that's why I appreciate it so much. I think why we all do so, you know, so much as well. 
So um, gets a big thumbs up from all of us here. <laughs> the walking after food yeah. podcast um and then it transitions into a really fun song the midway point of the album the title track medicine at midnight so andrew i'm gonna let you take a stab at this one first so this as i've said before let's stay at, this is like so pulled from a david bowie album in a yeah. way that's just so obvious <laughs> and it's in there's like a couple of things that make me think about that one is the sort of the click track drum beat on t- that's happening that start that starts off the song that is just the click track that yeah. Taylor Hawkins plays to they he uses that instead of just like a rant, like a straight click because that's boring as a drummer I, I would rather play to something that has a little bit more fun rhythmically uh, but they were recording it and then they pulled it and they're like it's missing something and they put the click back in so on top of there being percussion uh like drums there is also a click track drum beat probably from pro tools or something like that that is uh featured on the album but the other thing that hits me is the uh is chris shefflet's guitar solo which is so much like stevie ray vaughn's guitar solos on let's dance uh which and he he did an interview where he goes into a lot of detail about this someone asked him about it and they you know he like he when you get to talk to a guitarist about you know guitar you know selection choices and you know gear oh man you can get them talking for hours so there's an interview out there i won't bore everyone with this but uh there is an interview out there where chris shiflett explains the exact guitar he used the exact amp what pickup selection was where he honed in on that like exact tone uh to get that like stevie ray vaughn let's dance guitar solo sound and it worked it nailed it because it gives the whole sound that whole like whole vibe uh great song really fun funky groovy adds to the really helps like punch home that whole this is a disco album makes sense as the title track because i think it kind of capsule you know like all of the things that this album they wanted it to be you know if assuming the world wasn't what it was in 2020 this would have been kind of the representation of this is our influence this is the attitude we're going for and this is the kind of fun you're going to have so i think that yeah it i looking back a year later it's like yeah i, I get why you named the album this way marissa did you like the song what were, what were your feelings about it i remember loving the song um the first time i listened to it and my thought process was this is nothing like a foo fighter song i was like but i love it and <laughs> um, but probably because i love david bowie and i love a lot of other artists from the 80s and there was a lot of a lot of it like it was just really apparent there was a lot of influence there um and it was just a fun it's just a fun song and then the way and and then again like the chorus you kind of go it brings you back to like you know i mean i know dave is not like fools on screaming but like just rough you know vocal kind of just dave classic dave vocals basically on that chorus and it just kind of brings you back again to like this 80s like kind of disco moment you're like all right I don't know like this is cool like I didn't think I'd be this is great I love this ride <laughs> you know um it feels like a great way on like how they like distill their influences like how you could say like we're gonna do this thing but it's still obviously Foo Fighters like right like there were just if you want to so- distill a song to like a to, to like a, a genre but it's a Foo Fighters doing that genre right and I think it takes a certain level of genius to kind of just be like to, to understand exactly where those pieces fit 
like instead of kind of having that tone and 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 you know that kind of genre you know bending or whatever you want to call it like kind of dictate your sound it's kind of like no 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 we're going to use these as tool like we know what we're picking from like we're using it as a tool here and we're going to make it our own um and i thought this was a this track i mean especially being the title track like there's a great again like just really encapsulates like what the album is um there's something obviously new and different but it's still very much Foo fighters and i kind of felt you know felt it like the moment I, I heard it so um i i loved this song when i first heard it i don't think i ever needed to be sold on it <laughs> to be honest <laughs> you know andrew we talk about um order of albums a lot do you think medicine midnight is, is right where it should be or do you think it could have gone somewhere else yeah no i think that it's a great way to end side a uh you have a lot of energy going in but it has like a that last chord where it ran on the for that like last ending point kind of has like a sort of anticipatory which makes you like excited and want to flip over to the next side mm. thinking about this in a like if you're making an album that's supposed to be like a let's dance or you know like something from the 80s when you had vinyl what a great way to like build anticipation in the sense of i can't wait to flip that record over to the next side which is what anyone who bought it on vinyl would be thinking, you know, not necessarily for people listening on Spotify or anywhere else in the same way, but you're halfway through and you're like, oh man, let's hear the rest of this album. I think that's such an encouraging thing because you're absolutely right. The Foo Fighters made this album to be an album start to finish. It wasn't just a collection of singles sprinkled into strategic points to hope that you might get to the next song. It was like, no, this is the right place for this song because like you say, it makes you want to keep going and see what side B is going to give you. And what side B gives you is the, well, the start of side B is going to be No Son of Mine, which was the, I believe, third single off of Minutes at Midnight. So Marissa, like you said, if Minutes at Midnight doesn't sound too much like the Foo Fires, No Son of Mine most definitely does. This song from the very first note, I hear it and I say, okay, this is where the Foo Fighters, like this is where like the last 24 or 25 years of Foo Fighters was. It's hiding like on the B side. It's just, you got to turn it over. Like there it is. There was, there's like dance hall introspection on side A, side B is going to turn into something pretty massive. Um, Andrew, because I feel like when you heard this song, I think I saw like on the recording, your face light up. So I want to, I just need to know, like, is, is that how you felt too? You were like, like, yeah, this is classic Foo Fighters right here. Was that a little bit, yeah. a little bit. I, I remember I initially didn't love uh, this song. I mostly cause I like you heard shame, shame and waiting on a war. And then you hear this and you're like, Oh, so you're, you've got a little bit of like, okay, so we've got pretty much the same thing. And then you throw in a couple of new funk, you know, a little thing that's different, but this doesn't feel like the funk record that you keep trying to sell me on, but it really is a fun way to like start side B like in the album, I like it a lot more than I did just as a standalone single. But it's it's really cool to hear just like, all right, we're gonna give you a metal riff. Like get ready to get ready. Let's let the mosh pits get ready. Sort of uh, energy, you know. Like oh, don't worry, don't worry, all you fans, we're not selling out. Don't worry, you could you could punch somebody with it to this one. There's a wall of death to be made out of this. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's it's. That's what I, I think of this song. It's just like such like a heavy, it, like it adds that heaviness that is uh, usually somewhere in a Foo Fighters album. And it's usually, it comes in different, you know, places, but I feel like they kind of pushed it into sort of not all into one song, but you put a lot of it into one song. 
Was it satisfying for you, Marissa, to hear this finally on the record, some rock, hard rock? Um, yes, but when I heard it, the first thing I thought of was Motorhead. Um, Very good. So, <laughs> yes, and so, that would be right. Yeah. So I heard, I heard Ace of Spades, but um, but again, I wasn't mad about it. I was like, that's pretty cool, um, you know. Yeah. And again, kind of like I said before, like you have these certain tracks where, like, you can just you, it, the line is very obvious <laughs> that they're drawing. Um, and I thought that it was a great. I think I, I think I, again, and like this was a single, so you have to. Remember, I think I don't know. I forget what, what order they came, but I heard this, and, and like it gives you a very different, a very different picture of what this album's going to be like. So when I heard this, then on the album, I was excited to get to the track. Um, you know, I, I I do think it, in terms of placement, I understand like Medicine at Midnight being like that last one on side A. Yeah, it, it was definitely to me. It was a stark kind of transition back to that sound that I was kind of waiting for have more of in the album and I, I remember i remember just really enjoying it because it, it was just like your classic foo fighters kind of track oh yeah and it's a perfect reference to ace of spades i mean enemy when the song came out they were like that is motorhead right <laughs> or maybe even stone cold crazy by queen like when those two just popped in their heads like i feel like that's what i'm hearing right now we're on medicine at midnight album number 10 we're on the b-side no some of mine we just talked about it and now we're on to track number seven of nine holding poison so marissa i'll start with you what did you think about holding poison i thought it was the hardest button to button in a different key ah and a different well tempo. done well done so, yeah yes that's wow i never i didn't even think about that <laughs> done <laughs> yeah, um, just a little maybe a little faster a little faster and a different key but it well, is, they, they threw in that other line but da 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 yeah it's not it's not a Again, like that's just that intro part. And um, so when I heard it again, I was just like, I love the white stripes. Thank you, you know? Yeah, um, I appreciate that they threw in some cowbell into it also. There was some cow, I mean, it had it had all these great pieces. And and I, you know, I, I'm of the mind of Elvis Costello here where I think that music is meant to be borrowed and it's meant to be reinterpreted. And so when I hear things like that and like, and if I can point, if I can, if I hear, if I hear it and like my ear is catching on to it, like I, 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 I just, it makes me enjoy the, the track even, even more. I'm like, oh, like, cause I, I'm, it means that I am also surrounded by the influences that my favorite artists are surrounded by. So it means I'm, it means I'm tapped in, you know? So, um, so for me, it's always exciting, but I, this was one of my favorite songs um after listening to the to the album i think the first time um it, it was definitely on my top list i love what, especially what you said if i'm listening to what my favorite artists are listening to i'm tapped in like i love that like that's just ex that's exactly how i would i would take this so yeah i'd be i'd be so happy i mean you got the reference i didn't like you 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 heard it the first time andrew what do you think about i think uh, it's a, i think it's great i love like this again helps tie in that theme of like adding funk to it this one has that breakdown in the middle with all the backing vocals kind of doing that like loud scream it had it pulls it into like that funky thing especially with the drum beat um you know it, like it's very rhythmic right this is one mm -hmm. of those like very rhythmic rhythmic songs along with medicine at midnight or shame shame that kind of pulls this like the theme of the album together 
uh, I heard an interview that is that this is one of Pat Smear's favorite songs, but oh, Dave wow. does not assume that, that they will be playing it live much, really? which is very disappointing. Probably, and to be honest, I bet that's because there are some of the other songs are the singles. This one's not the single, mm-hmm. and they have to fill the they have to fill the set list with a lot of greatest hits. So, right, uh, yeah. if you do get to hear the song live, it's probably uh, probably exciting. I mean, but I, I love w- this song. I think it's great. I will say too that like. And like, and like you said, Andrew, like there's like definitely, it has like that funk, you know, tone that's kind of obviously throughout a lot of this album, but, but then again, like, I think it's just a great, they just merge like that, that classic Foo Fighters sound in like such a seamless way on that song, on this song too. It's like, you know, they scream, like I mean, whenever Dave Grohl screams, I, I, I get excited. So like, that's just, so if he is having like that kind of that screamy, you know, just like really raw chorus. And you can kind of mash that with like a funk, <laughs> yeah. a funk rhythm. Like, I, I don't know, like I thought it was a really strong song. I'm, I'm sad they, they, they probably wouldn't play this live, but. I, yeah. I'm just hoping that's an immediate reaction and they haven't, he has that, he's going to change his mind on Maybe that. Maybe marinate on really, that a little while. Let him think, think about, about it. it. Let yeah. him go back. Let him like double, you know, rethink on that idea. Maybe when they do the individual like band intros, he Pat can ask like, "Can this be mine?" Like just my just like my riff, you know, just like he's like, oh, yeah, Pat's gonna," and then all of a sudden you see That would be great. I would love that. Yeah, that's holding poison. Uh, track seven, track eight, kind of takes a takes it down a notch. But I I love this song, "Chasing Birds." Andrew, "Chasing Birds." Tell me about it. Oh man, this is like. A little bit of psych rock. It's a little bit of like you 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 left the party. Like if you're in a movie, if you're in a movie, right? You're 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 in a like a teen movie. Let's say you're at the party and you're leaving the party, and you smoke like a really big joint, and you're walking. You're in the su- It's a party in the suburbs, right? It's like a high school yeah. party in the suburbs. Yeah. You smoke a really big joint right at like as you're leaving, and you're walking home that's this is the song and like this like the antics that come out of that you know you got some bright colors coming there's a really weird video that they made for this one that i think fits that theme a bit but i think this is a really great song it pulls a little bit of psychedelic beatles and dave's you know and foo fighters foo fighteriness just a little bit pulling on their soft side which they haven't done in a little bit it's kind of nice when they get to do stuff like this you know like from like echoes and silence or in your honor so it's kind of fun to get something on their soft side i feel like if you take it literally holding poison is the drug chasing birds is the feeling it it's the aftermath <laughs> it's like yeah. just sitting there just stare you're you're on the floor just staring at the ceiling like whoa holding poison is the party getting re- getting reckless and it's like that front camera where it's where they move and it's always faced at them. Yes. You know that like you know that, that <laughs> yeah. shot where yeah. it's always faced at them. Again, the audio medium is not seeing me do the thing, but people can picture it. They yeah. I see it. You're see you're it. at the party and the camera's faced directly at your face as you see everything fall apart. <laughs> and you're taking the drugs and then you leave the party. And this is the song that's playing as you see the house light on fire behind you. <laughs> and you Please don't know me. how. You're and you don't up, know how. And then wake the, up the fire turns, you know, green and rainbow colored. And then it like sort of waves and becomes a rainbow. 
<laughs> it all makes sense in your mind, but when you wake up tomorrow, you won't even remember a single yeah. part of this. <laughs> Great <laughs> song. Love it. <laughs> Marissa, what'd you think of Chasing Birds? I remember it not being one of my favorites um, on, on this album. I mean, I think it's it still doesn't rank super high for me, but um, I do appreciate like the, the, the reference to the 70s psych rock Beatles, like we are all big fans of that. Um, so it does, it does resonate with me, but, but I mean, to Andrew's point, it was nice to kind of see them go to, back to their soft side for a second. Um, you know, you had like this really funky, rocky album, and then you have like a nice little reprieve. It's not, it's not, I mean, I don't know. I, and, and this could be, I guess the lyrics are kind of depressing, but um, for some reason, it just didn't sound as solemn as like, or, you know, some of the other, um, other somber songs on the album that we were talking about, but I don't know. I mean, I think I listened again to it today and it definitely sounded more Beatles to me than I think it did the first time I listened to it. But uh, yeah, I, I mixed, mixed feelings, I guess, on this one is what all some awesome summary <laughs> summary mixed i don't know <laughs> that's that's fair because it's 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 very out of character but i also think you know just from like a songwriting perspective it's also pretty mature in a sense i mean here's a band that we have to remember the band itself is 25 years old dave grohl has been doing this music thing for over 30 years um with another established band that we all know and love and so i think it's just it's it's refreshing that here is someone who is so amazing at putting together words in such a beautiful musical arrangement that this is what he can create. And I think it's just, it's such a testament. He's, he's flexing here, basically, you know, to use the kids, the kids language, he's flexing right here. He's showing you just how good a songwriter he can be and how, how varied he can make his music. And so I think it's just, yeah, I think it's, that's, that's just so incredible about it. I agree with you, Marissa. It's not my favorite on the album, but I appreciate it for where it is and what it is. And I definitely think it's, it's the acid trip of the album. You, I th- I, that's what I think. You, that's really funny that you that you've like shifted in the year because when you first heard this song, you were like, "This is the best song on the album." You were like, "This is the right. best song that they've written in like ten years." You were like, "This is amazing." Because I heard the Beatles influence first, and I love the Beatles and anything related to them, and I thought, "Yeah, I mean, they they've done it here." And I also thought that "I'm a River" from you know Sonic Highways was the best song, and that's notoriously considered one of the worst. So. My opinion goes only so far, and after I take some time to listen to it, I can. We're allowed to all have our opinions. We make and so mistakes, can you, and you can share them with us. And mistakes where can we happen. share them? Where, where, oh, publicly, share them, share them publicly with with the masses. <laughs> no, I mean, like, but where could they share with us? Like, oh well, oh, they, can, oh, they can also share it publicly via comments on on Anchor, Spotify. Uh, you can talk to us anytime. Tell me how wrong I am or how right. You know, uh, I is it mu- at music unsubpod at music unsubpod as well on social media, Twitter and Instagram. We're out there in the world. We, we can be connected to. So yeah. definitely reach out to us. Drop us a, a follow or a like um, at any point. That's uh, song number eight, the penultimate song, the last song on the album. Love Dies Young with, um, we can talk about it for a little bit, one of my new favorite music videos that the Fooders Fighters have made. Um, but Love Dies Young concludes the album. Marissa, how'd you feel about this being the ending to Madison at Midnight? I liked it as an, as, as an ending song. I did. It, it was, again, kind of going back to like that Foo Fighter sound, you know, kind of ending it on, was very just true. I mean, like not that the whole, I mean, I don't want to sound like it. The whole album is true to them. So like, that's kind of 
I'm not saying that it's not, but it, it, it was just like that song. I just kind of it brought me back to like that classic Foo Fighter sound, you know. And and again, I will say that I do hear a little bit of heart in the intro, mm. so I got some Barracuda vibes. Um, <laughs> so I, like I always appreciate that. Again, um, I thought it was a strong song to end it on, and um, yeah, no, no no complaints. I, I I don't know that it's a memorable song to me as some of the other tracks. Um, I don't know that it really stuck with me as much as some of the other songs, but um, I wasn't mad at it, you know? Right. It, it serves a purpose. It's in its place. It wraps it up nicely, the album. And so I think, you know, for better or worse, you're left with a satisfying feeling that, you know, it's nine songs. And, you know, I've started to have to, I guess, get used to the fact that artists are coming out with nine song albums now and calling them albums. But I think if you were to end this way, it works. I don't know. Andrew, do you feel differently? Uh, yeah, I, I love this. I love this song. Okay. Like, I think this is, I knowing when they were planning on releasing this, which was probably going to be in like May or June, where this would have, I think this was the perfect song that would have led them to the festival tours. This song gave me, I think I, we said it initially, it was like, this reminded me of something from 10 years earlier from a different band, uh, which you could take as a good thing or bad thing. But yeah, Barracuda, a little bit of Barracuda, a little bit of The Cure, and like some post-punk, like in that bass, that like really yeah. chorusy bass sound. I know you say it that. definitely gave me that like 80s, like Joy Division or New Order or something like that. Um, and the drums were like really good. It's it gave me this like oh yeah this is a festival this is a festival song and mm. I kind of especially in February of 2021 all I wanted was a festival song. <laughs> I wanted something to look forward to, and this song made me look forward to the end of COVID and going to see them at a festival. You whether you're in the UK, it could be Glastonbury, it could be. Uh, you know Lollapalooza in one of the many places that that is but like yeah. that's what this song gave me is like oh we're gonna be here with 50,000 other people and we're gonna hop to this song it's a hop it is a hopping I mean and I do it's think, like a yeah and I do think Andrew to your point that like again like the timing of this album like intention versus what we when we were able to actually listen to it um and like not having that live component like I probably I feel like I probably would have a different opinion on this song had I seen it live. Had I had I been, I think you're right that it is kind of like it definitely lends itself to. I mean, did they play it, Andrew, when you saw them? They didn't when I was when yeah. I went, but they had other things to to play and promote. And I do mm -hmm. think that the, like playing this song at the Garden, like I think it would have been great, but I think it'll be better when if you saw it at Shea Stadium. Right, it's definitely like an I anthem kind of song. It's an anthem. It's yeah. a, like it's a it's an anthem and. The concept of Love Dies Young definitely gives that same sort of like outdoor summer vibe teen, like young, like us from, you know, in our early, in our late teens, early 20s, it fit better, like a lot there. Uh, this fits like a great way to end the movie. Not to say that this is the movie, but like, it, like in the state, if the last three songs were part of a scene from a John Hot, from like a John Hughes teen, like coming of age movie, <laughs> This song is the end of the movie, for sure, in my mind. Well, 
speaking of movie, you just gave me the perfect segue because it may end up being the perfect ending to the movie that they are releasing based on the recording of this album. Studio 666 in theaters starting February 24th, officially in all theaters February 26th, uh, so later in February as of this recording. This is the story, just talking about kind of what's next after Medicine Midnight. This is the story of how they recorded the album. And they take the entire concept of the house being haunted where they were recording and blow it up into this very cliche horror style film where Dave is possessed by some like old rock god style beast and they have to, you know, kind of like using the power of rock, get it out of him. Exercise the beast. <laughs> and I could and I could definitely envision Love Dies Young being like as their van right rides away and they're like, wow, that was a crazy experience. Like that's what's playing as the credits. Oh yeah. So could be. Could totally be could. I think it's so funny to me that they made this album, thought, oh, this is haunted, and then thought, let's make a let's like make a movie with it before the album comes out. Like they, you know, they were rec- they were making this movie in 2020 when the pandemic right. so like they were planning on making the movie as part of the promotion of this album what a fun that would weird have been thing. crazy i mean i did read too that um like they haven't said much about like what happened like they i, I know there was like a one bit of an interview where um they were saying that like all the guitars would be like detuned like when they came in the next day there were tracks missing in pro tools that they had recorded the day before and there were new tracks in there like that were just like open mic sounds like just it was just like really weird um so it'd be i'm curious to see how this track i I know this movie is supposed to be like a horror comedy kind of but i'm curious to see like where they go with it maybe that's why some of these aren't uh you know maybe that's why they haven't talked about it much because you know this is well they actually based on a true story they signed a non-disclosure agreement with the owners of the house because the owners were trying to sell it <laughs> so they can't That's really true. say too much or what house or um and all that but uh i'm glad they are are able to at least make a movie out of it so we get some kind of uh insight so i'm excited for it we get some answers finally as to what really went down during the recording <laughs> of this album but mm-hmm. that's it that's album number 10 nine tracks but album number 10 uh that is the history as far as we know of LPs for the Foo Fighters. What happened next? Well, of course, it received great critical acclaim. It was well-ranked on Billboard rankings. And I think the biggest thing for the Foo Fighters is that they were finally, deservedly inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They are part of the 2022 induction class in their first year of eligibility. No band deserves it more. And it's clear from this album and the EPs that have come since that they are not stopping anytime soon. So there it is, Medicine at Midnight, we are finally, round of applause to everyone here on this podcast, through all the LPs, the history as we know it. So let us go into the rankings. We now have all 10 albums. Let's talk best to still really good, but just not like at the top of the list because I'm not going to say worst. So, Andrew, I'll start with you. If you can give us your final official Foo Fighters album rankings. I'd love to hear it. I'm ready for it. So this might be slightly different from the last one you've heard, listeners. But sure, sure. Working from the bottom up, bottom starting up. with number ten is one by one. This is probably not an entire surprise. I love so many songs on this album, but as an album, this just isn't as quite as cohesive to me. And uh, we've talked about that in the episode. I'd go back and check that episode out for uh, some of those raw feelings about it. 
Number nine is Sonic Highways. Again, a great album, great, some, some really great songs, but mostly an accompaniment to an incredible TV show and not as much a strong album. Um, up next, I would say, and this is take, this is where it's been back and forth. I'm going to kind of give these at the same time. They're sort of tied um, for, I guess, what would be seventh. Uh, but I'm going to say Concrete and Gold is going to beat out Medicine at Midnight. Both Greg Kirsten albums, they're the most recent ones. Uh, there's lots of great songs. I think that Concrete and Gold right now sort of overplays Medicine at Midnight, but I think those two have been bouncing back and forth over the last year, you know, depending on which feeling I'm going for, if I want more of that bombastic or if I want this more like upbeat, up-tempo fun stuff. After that would be Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace, uh, which is another incredible album. Uh, then would be In Your Honor, taking the number five spot, Above that was another tough choice uh, for third uh, between third and fourth, but it goes to "There Is Nothing Left to Lose," third album by Foo Fighters. The third album is the first one, the uh, rough demos that became known as Foo Fighters. Number two, uh, for those who have. Uh, been hearing me on this podcast before. This isn't a surprise. These next two uh, in second place is going to be Wasting Light from 2011. And the color and the shape is my favorite. And since we have you on camera, if you could just turn around for a second, viewers at home, you're not seeing it, but he's got the color and the shape on the back of his sweatshirt. It's only natural. That's album number one for Andrew. So very good list. Very good list. I, I have a couple of similar picks there. Uh, but Marissa, why don't you take us through your list? Yeah, so I guess, okay, so um, since Andrew was doing it from, I guess, least to to the to top, I'll yeah. try to, I'll, okay, so uh, I will say I know I didn't sit in on all the episodes with you guys, um, so when I was going through this, I kind of was just thinking, like, what are the songs that resonated with me the most, and how many of them are, are, are on each album, and then also for me, I have a lot of sentimental value when it comes to especially with a band like the Foo Fighters because like they've been a, around for many parts of my life <laughs> um right. so um it just kind of all brings me back so um anyway with that uh and, and I do think that if I listen to all their albums again more in you know after this I'll probably would have changed this but um, I'm not too familiar with there is nothing left to lose there's not there are many tracks on that album that I actually I'm familiar with so I kind of rank that as my as my 10 but mostly out of ignorance so just a caveat there um and then I would say um similar to Andrew my my ninth is Sonic Highways um I do think as 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 a an accompanying album to to uh you know a show um a documentary it makes sense but not not a strong one for me um, and then I guess that would bring me to the eighth album. So I say Concrete and Gold for that. And it's not that I don't think that that's an awesome album. Uh, but when I think back to the Foo Fighters sound and, and, you know, just kind of what I love, I kind of felt like this was too poppy. This kind of was that turning point where their music was kind of going a little too poppy <laughs> for me at the time. Um, 
And then, uh, then I would say wasting light, uh, kind of a similar, I feel like they kind of, for me, kind of hit me a little bit the same. Like there are really strong tracks on the album. When I think of like what tone I really love out of the Foo Fighters, I kind of feel like all of those tracks are a little, they hit a little too similar for me. Um, I think then I put Medicine at Midnight. Um, it, I appreciate there is a variety of sound, a variety of tone, and it's it's not anything I would expect from them. And a uh, lot of strong tracks on that album. And, and then which, I go into like their. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. I was, was going to ask which number is that in your list? Just so. So if I had a count, let's see. That's nine, number six. I think it's number six. Seven, right? Based six. on that was my six. count. Okay, got that it. was six. And then five, I would say one by one. Mm-hmm. Um. For I think Echo Silence Patience Grace. Um I put the color and the shape third for me. <laughs> um second is in your honor. I think that's a really strong album. And then for me, because I'm just old school, Foo Fighters has to be <laughs> good choice. My number one. Um so there you have it. Good choice. Good yeah, choice. Good, good list. I like that. I like that there's variety in our list and there's going to be some yes. variety. And <laughs> I do well. find it very cool to see something like, you know, in your honor being so high up for you. That's, I mean, one of, that's the first one I heard. So it's really cool to like, right. yeah. so what like where I, I probably lean towards like a lot of other either hardcore bands, critics would probably put some of the ones that I put in the, the order that I did, but it's nice to see other people having a different opinion. Be like, oh yeah, that's right. That album does slap. It does slap. It does. It does. It's a certified hit. They all are. They all are. Awesome. Okay. I love that list. Here's mine uh, last and, and probably least. So don't get your hopes up <laughs> listeners on this one. I'll do the same. <laughs> 10 to one. Number 10, like Andrew is one by one. I think we've talked about it. It's, you know, we love all Foo Fighters albums, but I think as an album, that's just the one that, that wasn't our favorite. Number nine for me is actually Concrete and Gold. Um, I really appreciate it. I think it's a great album. It just, you know, having thought about the whole list a year later, it just, it kind of fell into that spot for me. Um, for no other particular reason than that. Number eight, Nothing Left to Lose. Um, of course, there's, you know, singles on there that are far and away some of their best, but as an album, you know, just thinking about it as a whole, I had it there. Number seven, that's where I put Medicine and Midnight. So I think we all have them in the same ballpark. I think, Andrew, you and I have them in the same exact spot, maybe like one spot away. Marissa, I think you have a one spot above. So we all have it in the the bottom five, quote unquote, but we still, we're not going to say it's their worst. We, we all had a lot of fun with it. So we all really appreciate it. Number six, I put Sonic Highways. And I know you both put it towards the bottom of your rankings. I can't not think about it without the HBO special component of it. And so I thought, well, that was so masterfully done. I have to just, I'm kind of putting this a little bit higher for that reason. But, you know, yes, I do not, I don't feel the continuity as like an album as, as, as I do with other ones. Number five, I have In Your Honor, which I think I grew to appreciate more thanks to our, our episode that Andrew and I did. Number four, Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace, which I've talked about being one of my favorites. Number three, Foo Fighters, 1997. Number two, The Color and the Shape, which I think 
we all agree is 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 a gem and then number one my all-time favorite it will always be my favorite wasting light <laughs> and i in, in that in that episode i talked endlessly we talked endlessly with alex bear about why i love it i won't go into it here but i will simply say um as a way to wrap up this this show music is best enjoyed with people you love and, and care about and this was an opportunity for me we were all on the radio station that's my first and foremost favorite memory about it so I want to thank you both for going on this amazing journey of listening to the Foo Fighters. It has been so much fun. I hope you listeners at home have enjoyed it as well. We have documented our thoughts forever for posterity about the Foo Fighters. <laughs> our children will listen to this and think we're nuts and be like, what band is that? I, that's, that's, that's not, I, I don't know who, who they are. And now they'll, now they'll finally know. So for the last time in this part of the series, my name is Peter. My name is Andrew. I'm Marissa. And thank you so much for listening to Walking After Foo, the Medicine Minute episode. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening.